Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, this week I saw a very confusing headline from Vogue. And to be fair, most Vogue headlines are deeply confusing to me. But it was about Barbie core. Have you heard about Barbie core? What is that? It's where you dress up in clothing that reminds you of Barbie. Wait, Erin, is this where I show you my nails? Those are Barbie core. I know! I wanted something peppy going into the whole Kansas situation. Oh my gosh, and it your gamble paid off. I'm telling you. But yes, I mean, I couldn't imagine going further than these pink sparkly nails in terms of Barbie core. I mean... You did your part to preserve reproductive justice. Thank you. Thank you. For Kansans. So good job. Good job. This week, we are joined by Shaniqua McClendon and Dana Schwartz to tackle the following questions. What the Jayhawk just happened in Kansas? Is quiet quitting coming for hustle culture? And is burying your dead ex-wife on a golf course actually a brilliant business move? All this and more right now. All right. So, Alyssa, you know, usually when we start news, we're like, let's start on a high note and then let's get into the shit. But this week's high note is a legit high note. Let's listen to some sound. super proud to be from Kansas tonight, and I feel like my state just showed up and boldly told me that they are going to take care of me and my female friends and everyone that can get pregnant in the state of Kansas. We are protected tonight. That was the sound of Kansans celebrating the fact that they roundly rejected a possible amendment to their state constitution that would have enabled an abortion ban to take effect. Um, So let's talk about that first. So I think just kind of surveying the year. Mm -hmm. If the first half of 2022 was like fuck around season, the second half is find out season. And uh, yeah, well, Republicans in Kansas certainly found out last night um, the constitutional amendment that would have specified that Kansans don't have the right to an abortion not only failed, but to use a political science term, it was curb stomped basically. Curb sound? I was going to say whooped. It was whooped. I, <laughs> I, I went the American History X route with that. It was extremely uh, roundly defeated. Extremely satisfying. It was very satisfying. And, you know, all over political media uh, today on Wednesday, when we're recording this, people are talking about what a earthquake, I heard the, I saw the word earthquake Ooh. in reference to it, um, how this can completely change the midterms. Um, Alyssa, I wonder what your thoughts are on the defeat of the constitutional amendment in Kansas. I mean, the defeat itself is just incredible. Um, It's even more incredible because it's Kansas, right? Trump Mm -hmm. won Kansas by 15 points in 2020. Um, But also, it's such a good sign for us. Like, I think that you and I are people who never want to, I don't know, (laughs) signal to complacency. No. But... The Kansas, one of the best things I saw um, from Cook Political, I think it was, is that 300,000 people cast early votes. Mm -hmm. 58% of those who cast the votes were women. And they said that is unprecedented, unprecedented that so many, uh, so many women voted early. And like the other thing is 2022, not a presidential year. 
turnout in Kansas was over 900,000, which is almost presidential year levels. Huge. And in 2018, a non-presidential year, the turnout was 470,000. Mm-hmm. It almost doubled, or did double, mm-hmm. um, which is great because it shows that Democrats are motivated. Uh, they are going to turn out to vote, we hope, other places. And also... Aaron, it seems like some Trumpers voted for, uh, voted against this amendment. Well, look, Alyssa, they have a right to privacy. They do, Aaron. In the privacy of the voting booth is between them and their God, who is <laughs> smiling on them today for not being dickheads for once. Um, another really interesting thing that I saw was from the CEO of Target, Smart. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was tweeting on Tuesday about how when the Dobbs decision came down, when I talk about fuck around, that was an extreme fuck around moment. Because right after the Dobbs decision came down, research has shown that the number of women in Kansas who registered to vote just went through the roof. It was like an unprecedented unprecedented spike in registrations from women in Kansas. And I believe that the measure ended up losing by 20 points. Yeah, just about about 20 points, which is huge because like, as you mentioned, Trump won that state pretty by a pretty large margin. And I think it's been since 19, the 1950s or 1960s since Kansas went blue in a presidential election. So it is, it's huge. It's huge. huge. And something that I was thinking about moving forward, I don't want to be like a bloodless, like political strategist here because that's not our vibe. That's not our vibe. Um, there's a time and place for political strategy, but also I don't I don't know. I, this is people's lives. This is people's bodies, yeah. people's lives. But I think that this should send a message to other Democrats who are equally devoted to maintaining choice and reproductive justice for women and anybody who needs reproductive health care in the U.S. Run as though a vote for a Republican is a vote for an abortion ban. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's what it is. That's what it is. Like, there is no separating a Republican candidate from the Republican Party platform. There are very few pro-choice Republicans left. I think Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins are, like, the only two on the federal level. No, there might be some at the state level, but I—it is not—there is no— voting for Republicans unless you understand that you are also voting for an abortion ban wherever you live. And I think that the more Democrats can run on that, the angrier and more at the front of mind the Dobbs decision can be, the more of a find out election 2022 will be. It's the most election it feels really cause and effect. Yes. Right. Like very starkly cause and effect. Yeah. And, you know, Not that Samuel Alito should get punched in the face, but he does have a very punchable face. And it is nice to envision that maybe today he's having some thoughts. Angst. Some angst. He might be. If I were a Republican, if I were somebody who believed after Dobbs went down that we were marching uh, in in a way that could not be turned around toward a nation of abortion bans, I would be feeling pretty bad today. Mm -hmm. And good. They're bad people who deserve feel bad. Feel bad, please. Feel bad, and um, to everybody who was organizing in Kansas, everybody who registered to vote for the first time, everybody who convinced somebody that it was time to vote and care about this. Totally. And Aaron, let's also, I think, 
this was this issue, this primary was brought to our attention by a listener months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have been tracking it, but like shout out to the listeners for bringing the good stuff. Yeah. And, and I think that it's a really important reminder that just because a state is a historically red state or just because a state typically votes a certain way, that doesn't necessarily reflect the reality of who lives there because of gerrymandering, because of people who are just, I guess, uh, discouraged by the way that government runs in their state by people who are being silenced. I think that this is a really important reminder that there there are enough of us out there that if we just show up and vote, especially in places like local and state elections where an individual vote carries so much weight, um, we can really, we can really unfuck this. It'll take we a can. while. And also to the point before about complacency, it also just goes to show the last couple of months that even if you live in a historically blue state, one bad election, one election of being like, it's fine, we're in a blue state. No, no, there is none of that. There is none of that. Everything hinges on every election and therefore we must always be at the ready. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to add two more little factoids to this. There was a yeah. heat, heat advisory in Kansas yesterday. People still showed up to vote in record numbers despite the heat advisory. Another thing, um, in 2009, there was an abortion provider named Dr. George Tiller who was assassinated outside of his church by an Mm -hmm. anti-abortion extremist. And in this election, that church was actually used as a polling place. Oh, Aaron, you just gave me goosebumps. Yeah, which which is like very narratively— it is a a good narrative epilogue to a very, very— awful tragedy. Um, We also got some news from the Biden administration today. We did. Alyssa, can you take it away? President Biden, today as we record, will sign an executive order aimed at making it easier for women seeking abortion to travel between states. How is this going to work? Well, one of the directives Biden will issue will allow states that have not outlawed abortion to apply for specific Medicaid waivers that would, in effect, help them treat women who have traveled from out of state. So that's one layer of the EO. The other one is that it will also call on healthcare providers to comply with federal non-discrimination laws and streamline the collection of key data, information on maternal health at the National Institutes of Health. Um, so good. We're glad. Yeah. But as I understand it, Alyssa, you have a bit of a bee in your bonnet about this, EO. What What is— I mean, so here's the thing, Erin. Of course, I am so glad that they did this, but this one seems a little bit like it could have been done a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, I mean, like, I, I hate to be—I mean, I guess we can't—like, what's our—like, th- we just can't be fake, right? Like, I'm very happy about this, but this does not seem such a complicated EO, though. I mean, in defense of the Biden administration— these things always take a little bit of time because they want to make sure that they are, you know, they are girded and against being able to be taken to court. And if they were, that they would win. But, you know, just saying a lot of I think that in general, a lot of humans in this country underestimate the panic and trauma that people who affected by Dobbs have been feeling for the past two months. So glad it's here. Just wish it would have come a little bit sooner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I I think that maybe this, what happened in Kansas, I mean, I know that they were working on this before the Kansas thing came down, obviously, because they don't just like, oh, we better do this overnight. But but I think that, you know, what happened in Kansas should serve as a reminder to people who are maybe in Washington and insulated from what is actually happening on the ground and what people are actually worried about, um, that this is something that is like an existential issue 
to right. anybody this isn't in need of pandering care. to the left. No. <laughs> Protecting no. abortion is not pandering to the left. This no. is healthcare. No, no. Yes, indeed. This is healthcare. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what was introduced in the Senate a couple days yes. ago? Yes. Woke up this morning to a little press release in my inbox. The Reproductive Freedom for All Act was introduced by Senators Murkowski, Collins, Kane, and Cinema. Mm. Uh, in the Senate, and here is what it says. Uh, the Reproductive Freedom for All Act prohibits state regulations that impose an undue burden on a woman's access to pre-viability abortions while allowing states to enact reasonable restrictions on post-viability abortions, provided that states cannot ban abortions that are necessary to protect the life or health of the mother. It also seeks to protect access to contraceptives, which I appreciate, and preserve uh, conscience protections. So, mm-hmm. it's good. I mean, will it pass? Dunno, but appreciate that. I feel like the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future are really haunting old Susan Collins right now. <laughs> I mean, she's she's sort of like trying. You know, you know. Yeah. Do you remember the cartoon Daria? Of course. Do you remember in the in the opening credit sequence, Daria was playing volleyball and a uh-huh. ball goes right past her, and then she kind of half-assed puts her hand out. Yeah. Like that's Susan Collins <laughs> with abortion rights. Um, But I do appreciate this being kept on the forefront because honestly, the more that voters are reminded that a vote for a Republican is a vote for an abortion ban, the better we will likely fare in the uh, 2022 midterms. And if we fare well in the 2022 midterms, we won't have to care about Kirsten Cinema anymore. Like if we do well enough, like, right? Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, we might actually be able to think about other things, <laughs> generally. What would you do with your your cinema real estate in your brain? Like, how would you reallocate that? I was something fun. I don't know. Maybe I'd go for another walk. Maybe I'd listen to an extra audible, like audiobook. I don't know. Hmm. Sky's the limit, Aaron. Sky's the limit. Yeah, I haven't even considered what I would do with the mansion cinema compound that exists in the irritation centers of my brain. <laughs> um, but you know what? We'll brainstorm. We'll, we'll come up with some new ideas. We'll brainstorm. We're not going to get cocky. No. Okay, we're not going to get cocky. We're not going to get, but you know, you buy a lottery ticket. You're like, hmm, where would I buy a fancy house? You know, you you think about Obviously. it. Obviously. Yeah. So, you know, just this is some lottery ticket musing right now. Okay, so uh, we're through the good news. Oh, I do want to point out also that Arizona had a (laughs) Arizona nominated what essentially amounts to a series of unhinged Facebook posts to (laughs) all of their important offices. Um, And yes, (laughs) you know what? It is a beautiful state with a incredible desert landscape and it's got a lot of like beautiful um, biodiversity, but it'll be totally uninhabitable by human beings within the next 15 years due to climate change. But this kind of feeds my dad's theory, which is that if you are not built for the heat, if you are a person who is just not out, not cut out for the heat and you try to live somewhere that is very hot, you'll go crazy. And I feel like Arizona is is 
the Republican push to the right is driven by what we would call snowbirds, um, <laughs> which is like people who should not be living in Arizona, who have moved to Arizona because they can't deal with winter and then are now just like stinking the joint up. Um, but yeah, that it's, uh, it's, it's wild down there. It is. Uh, Facebook posts come to life is pretty much the best description, Aaron. Yeah. Everybody, everybody they nominated is just like a <laughs> bonkers. It's just bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Good thing they have like some solid candidates that are not Republicans that, that thank hopefully God will, hopefully will win. Um, we got to got to hope Arizona has its act together for the for the general election. OK, uh, speaking of states, let's let's resume our tour to fuckery. Um, about a month ago, we did an episode where we talked about things that were going on in different states. And uh, we asked you listeners to submit if there was anything that was like bonkers, to use an Alyssa word, going on in your respective state. And we got a lot of really good submissions. If you're listening and you have something going on in your state that we haven't mentioned and you want us to mention it, you can email us hysteria at crooked.com. We'll do these episodes from time to time just because it's good to remind people uh, that the state level is where it's at. And the state level is often where things get overlooked in favor of the national circus. So uh, let's start with Texas. Alyssa, what's going on in Texas? When is Texas not fucking around? Texas. Oh, God. I mean, this one, though. So the funny thing is when we get these tours to fuckery submissions, sometimes they're literally so fuckery that you have to, like, read it multiple times to be like, am I understanding this? Texas, one of those. Right. In Texas, here's the bottom line. John Mitchell, the man responsible, one of the architects of SB8, which we have been talking about for a long time, the canary in the coal mine of all these bad state-level abortion bans. Well, Aaron, he says that medications that prevent HIV transmission also encourage and facilitate homosexual behavior. So drugs like Descovy and Truvada. And he thinks because of that, they should be banned. Um, And they should not be covered by insurance. Oh, my goodness. Um, What? In a nutshell. In a nutshell. That is, that's his cause d'etre right now. But, like, you can get HIV from any sexual behavior. Like, the drugs can't tell the difference between... He says that the existence of these, Aaron, encourages homosexuality. Um, uh, yeah. That's like saying umbrellas encourage rain. They don't. He, I know. And rain Aaron. isn't bad. <laughs> like, you this know. This is the man who decided that civilians should be bounty hunters and, and vigilantes and, uh, you know, just track cab drivers that take women to get abortions. I'm so. sorry. That is, that's ridiculous. It's like saying the availability of ibuprofen encourages you to go out and have a good time. Yeah. It does. You know what, Aaron? I bet if he heard you, he'd be like, exactly, Aaron. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I've already said too much. Um, <laughs> moving on to Minnesota. Minnesota, a state um, where people assume because people are nice that fuckery is not occurring. Oh, my goodness. State-level fuckery in Minnesota abounds and has abounded. Um, it's it's just, you know, it's just like any other state. There's a video of the running mate of Scott Jensen, who is the Republican nominee for governor in Minnesota. The man's name is Mark Burke. 
And he was making some questionable comments about women and abortion. And he promised that they will ban abortion in Minnesota with no exceptions for rape or incest. Uh, And he said these wild things at the National Right to Life Conference in June um, on the day that the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Um, He compared safe and legal abortion to slavery. Burke also said women used to not be able to vote. Now we let them drive. Oh, Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much, MBS. Conservatives (laughs) are not funny. Like, no, but Aaron, they're always trying to do stand up. That I is know. like Matt, Matt Gates's dream. It's uh, like everything he's doing is like an audition for the comedy seller. And it's like, dude, you all have to stop. You're not funny. First of all, like, yes, none of them are funny. None of them can can write a joke to save their life. And this is like this is a joke that maybe would have been sort of funny if Joan Rivers said it in the 1960s. Right, there you, like, yeah, in yeah, the, yeah, yeah, in the right context, but like it's so hacky. There's so, I mean, there's there. It is. They're the cheesiest motherfuckers on earth, and they're also total hacks who are not funny, but desperately, desperately want to be funny. It's a Simitad Cruz. Oh, another one. Him and his podcast. He's one-liners. He's just trying so hard. You know what they're all trying to do, Aaron? They're trying to make fetch happen. That's what they're all trying to do. They all want to be Jon Stewart so badly. And they're such smarmy little turds. And it's just, it would be kind of pitiful to watch them try. But these people actually have real power. Like Matt Burke could become the lieutenant governor of Minnesota. And, you know, I'm sure if people asked him about this now, he would try to to walk it back and say like, oh, of course, we're not going to do bans. Of course, we would make exceptions. Listen, anybody listening who has, you know, like a, a mother, sister, friend, aunt, whatever, who doesn't believe that Republicans, no matter where they are, once they get power, will try to ban abortion. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. If they're telling you they won't, they They will. will. They lie about this shit all the time, all the time. Some of them lie about it during their Supreme Court confirmation hearings. There's just literally no recourse. We need to make the recourse happen by not electing these people or if they currently hold office, getting them to lose their fucking jobs. Like, yes, they they will ban abortion. And if they say they're not, they're lying because they lie all the time. Um, Minnesota is one of two states that lack a statute that terminates parental rights for alleged rapists. So, uh, yeah. So if Jensen and Burke were to be elected and passed an abortion ban without exceptions for rape, Minnesotans who survived sexual assault would not only be stripped of their right to choose, but would have to share custody with their predator. Um, Fucked up. Yeah, you Minnesota, please. Um, love you. Land of 10,000 lakes. You got to throw Burke into all 10,000 of those lakes, please. He truly deserves it. Um, on to Massachusetts. Massachusetts, real quick. Massachusetts, Massachusetts government put their Department of Utilities in charge of planning a transition to clean energy 
Sounds good, right? No, because the department put gas companies in charge. So not much of a difference will be made, therefore ultimately not helping the climate crisis. One glimmer of hope is Attorney General Maura Healy. Uh, She is wonderful. Um, She has come out and she's spoken out about this. Lots of people in Massachusetts have not yet spoken out about this. So maybe when they hear this, they'll be like, wait, we didn't know this was happening. This is fucked up. Uh, So yeah, Hmm. Massachusetts. It's a weird move. Weird yeah, move. Weird move. Um, Missouri. Missouri is having a wild one. Um, congratulations to Eric. All of them. So many of them. <laughs> All of the Eric's. Um, yeah. In in an example of Donald Trump being accidentally or perhaps on purpose, legitimately funny. Um, he endorsed all caps Eric for the Senate primary. That was actually funny. <laughs> and there were three guys named Eric running. And when someone asked him to clarify, he was like, basically like, I said what I said. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the Eric's did win. Um, it wasn't the crazy Eric, Eric Greitens, who is Thank God. A literal Fucking sex, like lunatic. a like a sex creep, like a predator, <laughs> an actual sex criminal and a gun creep. Um, yes. <laughs> also, uh, weirdly, those two things often go hand in hand. It's so mm. strange. I feel like somebody should look into that. People who are violent toward women uh, and also just like violent and dangerous people in general. But whatever, he's out of the primary. The more moderate Eric winning the nomination for Republican, the Republican um, the Senate candidate is maybe good news, kind of. But I mean, it's better <laughs> it mean but it but it also means that the se- the senate seat is likely to remain republican um right. but you know also i think that i would be very careful with prognostications now on the heels of what happened in kansas you can't necessarily extrapolate nationwide based off what happens in one state but we can say that you know female voters, voters who care about reproductive justice are very fired up. And I would not place any bets in in the R column. Um, Let's see. What else do we have? We have like two, we have a shout out to two great women running in Nebraska. Oh, nice. Patty Panzing Brooks is a Democrat running to represent Nebraska's first congressional district. And even though that district went to Trump by 15 points in 2020, in the special election in which Brooks went up against her November opponent, she narrowed the gap to six points. When they face off again in November, they think the higher turnout and more ad campaigns will give her a great shot. Also some exposure, which is what we're doing right here. And then also... Governor's race in Nebraska, Democrat Carol Blood has the best chance a Democrat has had in decades to win a statewide election. She's known in rural areas and has won her last few elections in red districts. So that's good. Nice. It's like we said earlier, can't count out the red states. Good Mm -mm. things are happening in red states. Mm -hmm. And the people who are doing the work on the ground in red states are tough as nails. And gosh, we, um, I think if, if I met a listener, out in the wild, who was from Nebraska, and they were to come up to me, I would purchase them the nearest available beverage. Uh, I a, agree with you. A That's a rule. We pinky swear. We pinky swear that if you're from a red state and you see Alyssa or me in the wild, and I'm not like in a hurry carrying, uh, you know, a baby in 16 bags or whatever, um, I'll buy you a coffee or a, a glass of wine. We'll do it. Yeah, same. Okay. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about quiet quitting. Hmm. 
And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria on a day when we are not mad as... No. Not as mad as we're good. As we Today we're good. Are. We're okay. We're okay. I'm actually, yeah, I'm okay today, too. I was happy. I'm a little happy. It feels good. A moment of relief is what I'm feeling. A moment of relief. A moment of respite. A little island in a flash flood of trash. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, let's bring in our two panelists today to get into our little victory dance, and then we'll we'll talk about what we're going to talk about. Uh, First, we never get tired of saying this. She's a New York Times bestselling author. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. She's the host of the Noble Blood podcast. And most importantly, she is a bride to be in the throes of planning a wedding. Most yeah. importantly, Dana Schwartz, welcome to Hysteria. Uh, most importantly, that is how I define myself and will continue to define myself from this point forward. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> and rounding out our what, I was going to say gruesome foursome, but that doesn't rhyme. Um, she's <laughs> Crooked Media's senior political director. So naturally, she wants to plug Crooked's Fuck Bands Action Plan, the Fight Back Fund. Go to votesaveamerica.com slash fight back to donate. Shaniqua McClendon, welcome to Hysteria. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. I want to give you a chance to do a little victory dance first. Uh, is there anything you'd like to, would you like to thank the Academy? Anything <laughs> like that? You know, I'm just going to say, well, first, thank you to all the I always get this wrong. Kansans. It's Kansans, right? There's no, okay. All it's the, Kansas. I'll just say all the Kansas voters um, <laughs> for who voted to um, not change their constitution and take away the right, um, the constitutional right they have to abortion there. But I'm just happy that people are paying attention to again. And yesterday in Slack, when the results were coming in, someone put in there, I forgot what victory feels like. And it was just really nice to be reminded, you know, in 2018, everyone kind of jumped in and was ready to, do whatever they had to to get rid of Trump. Uh, We flipped the house in 2018 and then got rid of Trump in 2020. But I was really starting to get concerned that people just kind of felt like, oh, Trump's gone, everything's fine. And as bad as it is that Dobbs, uh, the Dobbs decision came out and Roe was overturned, I think it was at least a reminder that Trump isn't the only villain here. He's not the only person who's trying to ruin everything. Um, (laughs) A lot of people at the state level, Mitch McConnell, all the people who stormed the Capitol, like, we have a lot more people we kind of need to get rid of is not the right term, but I can't think of another one. Shut out of state houses. Shut yes, out there of you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the doors to power should be shut to those people. <laughs> exactly. Uh, they, can, they can go post as hard as they want. Somewhere. Exactly. I mean, some of them need to be in jail, but I guess some of them are in jail now. But yeah, I yes. feel good about yesterday. Yeah, that's that's great. Dana, how do you feel about yesterday? You feeling some victory? Yeah, I just feel like a little bit of hope, which is a nice thing, like realizing sometimes that like being angry and on the Internet sometimes leads to cycles of like cynicism, at least for me and feeling like, oh, well, it's all a wash. Like I what can I do? Like what what can anyone do? This is all hopeless. And just like seeing those moments of victory is like it's really powering. And I think you sort of need um, I think the metaphor is like you know, electric bikes when you're riding them and the electric bike can carry you, but you need to pedal a little bit. And then it goes like, sometimes you need those moments of momentum of pedaling to be like, okay, we can do this. And that felt like some, some good pedaling in the bank. 
Mm-hmm. It makes yeah. sense in my head. Yeah, no, it, it totally, makes sense. Totally makes sense. <laughs> I also I pointed this out during news, but Kansas was under a heat advisory, and people lined up to vote during on election day. Oh wow, yeah, I didn't know that people lined up to vote big time, and then also. Um, the vote was scheduled deliberately by Republicans on a day that they expected fewer people to turn out. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kansas voters were like, oh, the fuck? No, yeah. you don't. No, no. And they, no, you don't. They Streisanded themselves into this. Also, <laughs> I, I, I kept thinking about Samuel Alito's kind of smug tour. Yep. Um, and it's like, all right, dude, you want a girl boss that close to the sun? Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, go, he should go out and speak more. I think the more that his face is plastered all over the news looking like a, an aggrieved asshole, um, <laughs> the better the better it is for people to remember that he's the person who authored this decision. Anyway, there's I, I, I don't want to be, be too victorious here because, you know. But you, right. you take them where you can get them. And um, Shaniqua, thank you for all the work you do with Crooked. As always, like, you're just you're just great. And it's always so nice to have you on the show. And it's great to have you back today. We, we like, had... Thank you. We planned <laughs> this, like, without knowing the, what the results would be. So it's cool. I know. You're here I was nervous. And, oh, sorry. I'm in a hotel, and I'm looking out the window. I'm on the sixth floor, and I see a friend of the pod shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. That's that awesome. is so random. Um, yeah, no, I'm happy to be back. And no, I was really nervous about yesterday and yeah. Um, and I it just, I'm not, I'm not going to bring it up. Last time I was this excited, it got taken down in a day on January 6th. So just holding on to this. Uh-huh. Right. Let's, uh, let's not put that out into the universe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so today we're going to talk about something that is a, um, that's, you know, not related to voting or anything like that, but it's something that I came across as a term. And it just, it's, that term is quiet quitting. Quiet quitting, which not only being something very fun to say, quiet quitting. Um, <laughs> I feel like it should be whispered. Good call. It's, yeah, it is. There's just something about it. Quiet quitting. Um, it is a term that refers to people who continue to show up to their jobs, but only do what is required of them and no more. And sort of, I guess in my mind, I always thought of that as just like a a very universal thing that has always existed, which is just like half-assing. But, um, Dana, I wonder, I want to start with you. What do you think of the term quiet quitting? Is there anything new about this as a concept? And where do you think it comes from? I mean, I think that People are recognizing that the system is not necessarily a fulfilling one, that like the quote unquote grind, I think like the girl boss grind isn't providing the promise that it seemed to have maybe 10, 15 years ago. And so I think I don't think it's anything new, but I do feel like social media and the way Gen Z uh, communicate quickly and sort of form subcultures and movements means that these things could sort of gain momentum and, you know, come uh, get pithy phrases around them. But I don't think, I think like you go back to like office space or like movies in the nineties where it's like, those were movies about like being burnt out at work and not trying hard. Like the, the sentiment has always been there. And I think that what is new is this, um, idea of like organizing and sort of making it chic feels like a weird word, but like, um, you know, like giving it like viral momentum. Mm-hmm. Well, what is the girl boss grind? Like, can you define? Oh, that can is? I define the girl boss grind? This idea that it's like 
there are two things that were happening at once, I think, in like the 2010s, which is that people conflated individual success with feminism, being like, if you are a capitalist success, that can be feminism. And you as a girl achieving business and wearing a suit and posing with your your hands on your hips, that's empowerment. And I think people now are questioning, one, whether it actually is empowering to sort of devote your life to being a person in a corporate system and also whether it achieves anything other than like you having a slightly nicer apartment on a broader level. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shaniqua, you were kind of nodding. What What do you think like the, the girl boss like grind is and why do you think people are sort of like done with it at this yeah, point? Yeah, kind of over it a little. Um, I, I really think, um, you know, Dana, what you just said about just realizing you're not getting that much out of this, you know, this grind, this hustle, just really climbing the ladder. And like, what do you get? Like a cool suit, some nice stilettos. Um, But on top of that, it's actually causing a lot of harm when we are kind of opting into our capitalist society and saying, this is the thing I want to put all of my energy into. We know that the further up you go, you've probably stepped on some people, exploited some people, And a lot of people are calling that out about corporations. And, you know, if you're tying yourself to an organization that that's their mission to to make all this money and harm people in the process, that, I mean, yeah, now your girl boss kind of persona is part of that. And so I think a lot of people are questioning that. Um, And I don't know if it's, you know, goodwill or not, but people don't want to be attached to that. You know, part of the whole girl boss mantra was like, you know, we're smart, women do it better, and we do it in a nicer way than men. Um, and in reality, I think what we've seen a lot with people like Sheryl Sandberg and, you know, just a lot of women who have been pushed on us as the peak of feminism and being able to have it all, um, you know, they did the, a lot of the same things the men did. And so are they really that much better? Mm-hmm. Like the rules themselves are the antithesis of actual empowerment. Like the rules themselves are the problem. It's not like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to climb the ladder. It's like, no, the ladder sucks. Like (laughs) we need to knock it down. Yeah. knock it down. And I think people, I mean, myself included are kind of getting fed up with like people having used the language of empowerment in order to bolster. It's like, no, no, you're just using that language to make money for yourself on this ladder to reinforce the ladder because mm-hmm. they realized that like merch with a slogan on it sold, you know, better mm-hmm. than a T-shirt without a slogan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alyssa, I wonder what you think about the like fetishization of hustle culture, because I think in D.C. and in government, it's like really intense. Like all of my friends who have worked in government have this like very it's almost like if you're not working 24 hours a day, you could be working more. It's like if you're not working 24 hours a day, are you important? That's kind of how I always think it it came down to. And the funny thing is, is that like, I mean, that was my whole, you guys, that was like 20, almost 20 years of my life. You know, if you're not sleeping, like I slept, I had pajamas that I got with a pocket just so I could put my Blackberry in it. So I wouldn't miss middle of the night texts, right? Like, I mean, not texts. There were no texts back then. Emails. BBMs. It was. And it was like, and I was in and I had a, I had a friend, Juliana Smooters, if you're listening, who we ended up being roommates together. And I do think some of this comes with age a little bit because she's, she's a little older than I am. And 
When we were um, first on the Obama campaign and we were living together because, of course, we were living together. It was very expensive and we didn't necessarily think we'd be in Chicago for two full years. And she was, I was like, Juliana, we can't leave. It's like 645. Like everyone's still working. And she's like, if they're still working, it means they did not manage their time properly throughout the course of the day. And Mm -hmm. I was like, is that true? And it always stuck with me. Right. But like when we got back to DC, I mean, I just, it's like, who worked harder? If you worked harder, you were more important and you were more necessary and blah, blah, blah. And guys, let me tell you, there is not a candidate on this planet that could bring me back to Washington, DC or that life. And I don't know if having lived it is what makes me so resolute against it. Um, or the fact that, I mean, I'm closer to 50 than I am to 40. Oh my God. And that I've earned it, you know, that I, because I did work so hard that now I do get to like choose what I want to do and how I want to spend my time. But I am a much better, like I even, I've said it to Pfeiffer before. I wish I could go, I wish we could go back. I wish we could, I wish I could get six months in a White House as Alyssa today and not Alyssa 15 years ago, because it would be a rip-roaring great time. And I would cut out half the shit I used to do, which I now know was not important, but in some ways may have been somewhat performative to show that I was the hardest working, most dedicated, you know, person. So I'm not sure that I ever, ever in my DNA could be a quiet quitter, but I do think that I would, I would, I would love the opportunity to go back and uh, chill the fuck out a little bit. <laughs> I mean, don't you think that I feel like the whole hustle culture, just even more broadly than you know the way that things function in government, um, it's sort of it turns ordinary workers into enforcers and foot soldiers for people being pressured to give more than they're getting paid for. Yeah. Like, it, and it, and it like, it's so insidious. It's like, um, you know, it's like when women are like the enforcers of patriarchal standards on each other, it's like men don't even have to do anything because yeah. we, in some cases, we're the ones like enforcing like shame on each other. We're the ones, whatever. It just is like what the, you have a job you are getting paid to do X, Y, Z. You are being paid to be at your job for this amount of time. Anything more than that, you're just giving to your work for yeah. free. But let me counterpoint that. Let me let me just test the proposition a little bit. Okay. As someone who also had lots of people who came to me looking for promotions and raises, if you go to your job and you do your job and you're not doing more, you're coming in, you're on time, you do your shit, and then you're like, now I need a raise. Mm, but why? You're doing your job. You're being paid for your job. So it's like, I'm fine as a boss if you want to come in and do your quiet quitting. But then if you if you have aspirations for a managerial position or something like that, I do think that like you have to demonstrate you're capable of a little bit more. Not to the extent of being like a lunatic, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying, as the as the face of corporate culture. Yeah, here. well, if you want to move up, I mean, that also makes sense. The, the question yeah. is, like, if you're quiet quitting, you are sort of quitting. You're, like, being like, this is where I am. I'll make this money and I'll leave. And, like, if that makes you happy and you feel like you have a better work-life balance. Godspeed. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, you know, I think when I think about people who are quiet quitting, like, or just kind of our normal society right now, there is no expectation that you just do your job. Like, even if that's what you want to do, so many bosses, so many companies and organizations expect you to come in and and just 
you know, put them first and do all that you can do. And if you are literally not doing that, you're penalized. And so, you know, quiet quitting, the quitting part is an interesting word for me. It doesn't feel quite right because if you don't want to do more and you're doing what you're paid to be doing, um, you know, you're often penalized for that. It's like, you know, they're not a go-getter. They're not stepping up. I don't see them taking, you know, extra initiative. But I just think back to when I had my first job on the Hill, I was making $30,000 a year and take home. That was about $1,600 a month. But I was just always trying to do more and more and more. And, you know, I got some promotions, but I definitely was not getting paid enough for even what I was doing. But the expectation was you need to go above and beyond. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Above and beyond is just that, though. It's like, why, you know, above and beyond is like doing more than what you're getting paid to do. Yeah. And like, if you don't, if that doesn't eventually lead to some sort of promotion, um, then I think that it's totally like within a person's rights to just be like, all right, cool. I get here at nine. I leave at five. I will not email you back. If I get a work email mm-hmm. out of my work hours, I will not come in early for a, a meeting. I will not do any of this stuff unless I'm getting paid to do it. It's like totally fine. You I know? agree. No, I totally agree with that. Can I throw one other thing out there? Just kind of the inverse of this. When people show up and go above and beyond, it's very rare that a manager says, oh, I'm going to promote you. You still then have to do the ask of, okay, I've been doing all this. Can I get promoted? And I think it would be more balanced if you took those extra steps. Someone said, okay, you've earned a promotion and you don't even have to ask for it. But that doesn't even happen. So it's just like, why are we doing all of this? And why is it always on the person who's already doing the work to then advance themselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 a really good point. Um, I was just, I wonder, have any of you had a job where you got to a point where you're like, all right, just the bare minimum and no more. And uh, Alyssa, you're nodding. What what was what did that feel like? And how did that how did that play out? I was out? like, could I actually get away with this? And I did. <laughs> so I was like, what job was it? Tell I us. am not. I can't say. <laughs> but it wasn't government. It wasn't government. Um, yeah, okay. But no, there was a period of time when I was like, what the fuck? I'm putting all this in. No one's listening to me. So like, I'm going to see what happens. And it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I will also say I've been very lucky in my job that like I work in a creative field and I'm able to like, you know, put my work now into projects that I do really care about. Um, there have been writing assignments, you know, where I'm not like a credited writer where I'm like, OK, I'll just do what I'm supposed like. I could like twist this, but you don't want that. You just want me to be the workman and like do do this exactly the way you're saying and I'll do that. The one that that comes to mind for me is when I was an intern at a TV show um, when I was 22. I was already working two other jobs because interns got paid minimum wage. Like I was literally three days a week at one job, two days a week, another job, and then freelancing on the side to like afford to live in New York City. And I realized like, oh, I to be the best intern isn't going to get me anything. Like I don't some people were like, oh, I reorganized the soda fridge and I like restocked it and like did the the cold ones, you know, in front the exact right way that you want without even asking. And I'm like, that's great, but I don't want to be a production manager. And so it's like I did my intern task as fast as possible and then just like hung out on the floor with the writers and like made <laughs> friends with the writers, which helped my career so much more because I like still know them and like that's actually like if you want to be a comedy writer, they're not like 
that guy's really good at stocking sodas. Let's yeah, see if they have any yeah. jokes. Like, so that was one where it's like I I figured out what I wanted the job to be, and so I was you know pretty adequate at getting milk from Gristini's, and then much better at you know trying to make connections. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. Like, I really am a firm believer in when your work is done, you should be able to go yes. home. Yes, like, 100%. Yeah. Like, I really hate the performative staying in the office late for no reason. Um, I, I hate the, like, uh, oh, I just, I, I that is, like, one of my biggest pet peeves. Like, I hate dragging things out just because you have, like, signed up for the time. It's like, if you get your work done, you should go home. That's, like, yeah. incentive. The most insane things any boss I've ever had did was during big snowstorms, they would go to the office and make a list of the people who went in as like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, that's deranged. I mean, it was such a like clarifying. I was like, I don't. Oh, my God. Like, what is in your soul that you thought that was a good use of your time? Like, you are the boss. Stay home. Yeah. We have fun. That's also so risking cool. your life to come to work is a high bar to prove that you care about your job. Would never. Like that is, yeah. that is. The, your job wouldn't risk its life to care no. about you. No. no. Like the company wouldn't risk its life to care for you. Like it's, oh, that that's really, that's like chilling. Mm-hmm. That is bone, yeah. that is bone chilling. Um, I think that's something that, that I've seen kind of pop recently is a refocus on the importance of leisure time um, and having things outside of work because hustle culture, I think, also kind of insidiously encourages people to tie their selfhood into their job. Like you're put if you're giving your job your all. When you change jobs, you have like this really like crazy crisis psychological. Yeah. yeah, it's like a psychological like oh my god, who am I? What do I like to do? Like one of the things that I work on in therapy, um, I'm in a creative field, and a lot of what I do is like me, but like into a microphone. So it's it's like it's separating who. I who I am as a human being with what I do for work is something that has been like really, really important for me, just being able to cope with being a human being, like having things that I enjoy that are outside of things that have to do with my work. So, oh, my God, if you solve this, will you tell me (laughs) I I, the most depressed I ever get? And again, this is also just like a real like I, I do like have to deal with this is when I finish a project. Mm hmm. The first, oh the my first god, yes. so bad. The first mm-hmm. time in my life that I had like a really bad bout of depression that I needed, you know, medical help for was after I got into my first choice college early decision in high school, where I was like, well, I I did it and I don't feel any different. So now what? And it's like even now, like turning in my last book, I'm like bracing myself, like knowing that this is when I get the most depressed because if you- it is, it it's the baby blues, yeah. but for like a thing that you've been working hard for. You know, the you know, the baby mm-hmm. blues are like yeah. three days after you take the baby home from the hospital. Your hormones are going crazy. Your boobs are exploding. Your, you know, your vagina is bruised and tattered. Um, but you also just got home with this thing that you've been working so hard for. And you just like get sad. And it's like above it. And I feel when I had my kid, 
and I got her home from the hospital, I was like, oh, I feel like how I feel after I finish a big project. It's like, it's, it's, it's true. And like, I think that we tie our self-worth into like the actual hustle. There's also like a rush to it kind of. And when you unplug from the rush, you're just sort of like crashing. It's like, okay, well, well now what do I do? Yeah. And literally like, who am I? Um, I, I will say, um, I moved back to DC at the end of last year and, um, I used to talk a lot of shit about LA, but being back in DC from LA, I'm so grateful to LA now because it calmed me down. I realized like everything is not so serious. Politics is important, but it's, I mean, we're not curing cancer. You know, it's just like, you get to take a break from it. You don't, it doesn't have to be your entire life. Um, but now being back in DC, I see all the complaints that people had, like the first, after someone asked your name, they ask you what you do. And, you know, again, the, the, the world's crumbling. Like there's a lot of people that are trying to make it better and that's great. Um, but you can't do that if you're not, you know, in a good place yourself. Uh, and, and it's taxing and I don't know. It's just nice to not be known just for your work. I mean, Coming, going back to DC, I had all these interests. I started running, I hike now. Like I do stuff that I enjoy. I love flowers now. I get flowers every week. And <laughs> I now, I'm up to three vases in my apartment. And so I have like a different little arrangement in each one. And it's just stuff that when work was my entire life, I couldn't focus on those things. I just kind of was a robot that got up and, you know, checked the boxes every day. And life is so much better now that I feel like I, I'm a person with an identity and it's distinguishable from my work. Right. Well, and it's also, I think something that's really important. Like I didn't know the flower thing about you. (laughs) Like we we're like mutuals on all the social medias and we're like, you know, whatever. I think that something that's really important to kind of extract yourself from the hustle is to like have some things that you kind of do without feeling that you might, you need to like broadcast it as part of your like brand. Oh my God, brand. that's it. Like make, put it on social media. Yeah. It's, it's uh, Dana, you're, you're looking like. <laughs> I'm fighting that in myself. Like I am someone who I'm like, oh my God, every book I read, every like cake I bake, everything I do, I have to find a way to like leverage it to social media somehow. Like I'm trying to unprogram my brain. It's hard. Is it that you're leveraging it or are you proud of yourself? Well, both. It's almost like if a tree falls in the forest, I'm like, (laughs) if I, if I just make a cake and don't take a picture of it, did I even do it? (laughs) And I need to be able to be like, no, I did. And I enjoyed it. And that's enough. It was a thing I I Uh just wanted to do. Do you feel like that uh, feeds back into hustle culture? Maybe in a weird way, but I, I saw an article the other day just about how or maybe I was listening to something, but how because of social media, everyone now feels like they kind of have to um, kind of commercialize their life, put it all on social media and show like, you know, this is my brand. This is my aesthetic. This is how I live my life. But in reality, I mean, the reason, you know, even the conversation about around Instagram changing is because they're trying to make more money. You know, Instagram is going away from a fun place where we just put mundane things and now like everything is really shiny and looks like, you know, an editorial magazine. And so it makes me wonder if, as you know, as you just mentioned, you're putting your cake on there. It's like, well, people have to know, like, this is part of who I am. And, you know, that is baking a cake is separate from work, but then it's like your personal life becomes work because now you're sharing it with everyone to, to prove that you're, you know, doing things. Shaniqua, that is so brilliantly put. Like I, it is, I just have to say it is exhausting 
trying to one live your life with an aesthetic and then two <laughs> to be able to like capture and then maintain that aesthetic on Instagram like that is a full-time job and it is hard and you're like why is it why people get paid for that yeah why are we asked to do this freelance I can't be a freelance <laughs> editorial director I'm not good at this <laughs> I mean, that was something I realized about Twitter this year um, as it got to be less and less fun. I was just like, oh, I'm just like giving free shit to Twitter. Like, I'm just writing jokes for free. I'm like spending my thoughts on this thing that, to be fair, has led to professional opportunities for me. But do I need to do this anymore? No. Also, it's not fun. It's It's making me sad. I don't I don't like it. I will also say, so I was promoting a book and my editor asked me, she's like, oh, can you like keep making TikToks? Because that's where it's a YA book. Like that's where the YA audience is. Like, can you make TikToks to promote this book? And I'm like, that is so hard for me. That is a full time job. I can either like write the next book that I'm contractually obligated to, like actually do my job or I can make TikToks to promote it, but I cannot do both. It's just too hard for me. Though I will say your TikTok in the green dress was very good. Thank you very much. (laughs) It took me so long. I know. That's why I want to give you a little pat on the head. (laughs) I do think that like hustle culture stems from people trying to see how much they can extract for free from their employees. And I think that, you know, it's one thing to love doing a job or, or like, you know, for the love of the game or whatever, but It's another thing to just be like, no, there's, I think that the backlash to hustle culture, the backlash to girl bossery is a reflection of the fact that people are like, wait a minute, my labor has value. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, and there is a, we've been pushed as like a workforce beyond our limit of what we believe is fair. Like we're doing this work. We deserve to be paid for it. And if we're not going to be paid, we're not going to do the work. And I, and I think that's totally, and I don't think that's lazy, even though sometimes when I, when I'm not like working or writing something or, you know, I have this kind of like hodgepodge of freelance work that is, that I've crafted into like a career that enables me to stay home with my kid, you know, most of the time. Um, Like, I I don't know where she is right now. I hope she's okay. Um, No, she's fine. She's, I think she's put, I put her in a box and uh, no, but um. But like, you know, that that is led to a life where if I am not working on something, I feel like I'm lazy and I really need to deprogram the feeling of being lazy when I'm not working. Like I'm a writer. If I'm not writing, that's okay. I can do other things besides write. You know, like I can take a break and do something to recharge. I can read. I can read something that isn't directly related to my writing. I can like read for pleasure. I can, you know, I'm, it's really, but I I have to say it, it is difficult for me to unprogram this sense that if I'm not working all the time, I'm lazy. No, hundred percent. So I, you know, I have a couple jobs and one of them, I actually was talking to the woman I work with and I was like, Hey, I just want you to know, cause it's summer and it's fruit, you know, so jams popping. And I was like, I just want you to know, I jam before 9.30 in the morning and then again after four. She's like, what is wrong with you? Why would you even say that to me? Like, what are you, like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, no, I just, I want you to know, like you pay me. And I just, she's like, why would you, she's like, that's crazy talk. And I just, but Erin, it's the same exact thing. It's like, I feel so, I'm so retro and like, I am 
I really do come from like a slightly different time where it's like you had to account. I'm not sure I've ever fully progressed past being a paralegal in 1998 where you had to, at the end of every week, write down what you spent every hour of your day on, right? All of your billable hours. That really, I mean, it's really something that I've, I've, I've struggled with over the years. But yeah, there I am, grown-ass adult. Did a, did a lot in my life. And I was like, hey, just want you to know, the fruit goes back in the fridge at 9.30. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that that what's happening right now, just like on a wider scale, is a refocus on boundaries mm-hmm. and rules. And um, because I think that there was this period of time where everything felt a little bit like a free-for-all, like work and uh, social life and your sense of self. And it all sort of like blended together. And now it feels as though people are like, wait, that's actually very, that's really unhealthy mm-hmm. to live a life that has like no boundaries between yourself, your per- your private self and your public self. Not that those two things should totally deviate because that's weird, but there still needs to be things that are yours. And where is that line? And then your, you know, your public self and your work self. And where is that line? And and it's really interesting to see the way that people are rediscovering those things, trying to erect those things again. And, um, you know, it's like that old chestnut where like anybody who reacts negatively to you setting a boundary is the person that the boundary yep. is for. Yep. Can I be like the the specter at the feast just for a moment? Because I think that like yes, this like recognizing how damaging like corporate culture is and like the capitalist structure is and setting boundaries is so good and and important. And also I think that it's good for everyone to be aware that like the broad umbrella of capitalism is so big that like people are going to try to find ways of profiting off this sort of momentum. Like I think like athleisure was sort of that. Like wellness and stuff. And now Mm -hmm. like cottage core and wellness don't fall into the trap. I'm telling this to myself of like <laughs> making like spending hundreds of dollars on like wellness and cottage core to sort of purchase that sense of of anti-corporate wellness be your new sense of wellness. Like that's a trap. That is, <laughs> right? Like but I think that the the way capitalism is structured is that when this big cultural movement is happening of like, "Oh, we don't need to give anything everything for our job." Now there's going to be like $500 uh, gardening kits that people will be buying because they're trying to yeah. sell wellness back to us. Yeah, right. I, I totally agree. And, you know, I think just to, to end this part of the conversation. Um, so I think a really good object lesson is take a look at a baby. You know, you can buy a baby, all of these toys, fancy toys by Manhattan Toy Company, you know, all these fancy, you know, like uh whatever, like beige cars with a little rope that pulls. And the baby's favorite toy will still be an empty paper (laughs) towel tube. Or like the tissue paper that wraps up the toilet paper. Um, Or, yeah, like an empty box. And, you know, there is fulfillment to be had in the way that a baby finds fulfillment. Like the world around you that isn't work, that is like still free to you. Like... Um, and, and I think that that's, that's something that I'm thinking about and also regretting the fact that I purchased so many toys. For my <laughs> but Aaron, Aaron, an empty paper, paper towel roll isn't aesthetic. 
Right. It's ugly. It's not aesthetic. <laughs> it's true. That's true. But it's like fascinating to her. She cannot, but like I look through it and she's like, what? <laughs> what? Anyway, um, be more like a baby. Uh, that's that's the final thought here. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to do another hybrid sanity corner slash I feel petty just because I feel like that's feels you know, good. Healthy. It feels good. It's, it feels good. Okay. Stick around. We'll be right back. And welcome back. We have almost reached the end of the show, but we wouldn't let you go without letting you all know, why am I rhyming so much? God damn it. Uh, What we're feeling petty about this week and what is making us feel sane this week. I feel petty slash sanity corner summer hybrid spectacular. But before we get to that, uh, a little bit of housekeeping. So as we have been discussing, Kansas is one of the first states to vote on reproductive freedom following the decision to overturn Roe v. Wade back in June. Ashley All, a spokesperson for Kansas and the push for abortion there, joined What A Day this week to talk about what the fight for reproductive justice looks like in Kansas as we head closer to the midterm elections. I had the pleasure of guest hosting this episode, and the conversation is one I cannot recommend listening to enough. I've been on What A Day so much this month. I know. You're it like, a, what a day. It, it is a delight. I mean, we miss Gideon, but it is, it is so fun to guest host that show. It's such a fun show. Well, Aaron, I love What A Day, but I love it even more when you're on. And you can listen to this in other episodes of What A Day, Monday through Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, also, this week on Imani's State of Mind, Dr. Imani and Meg are diving into the realities of postpartum depression and the inequities Black women experience when reaching out for help. Listen to new episodes of Imani's State of Mind every Friday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, house has been kept. Let's get to I Feel Petty Sanity Corner. I have something that that fits into both I Feel Petty and a Sanity Corner because it is an example of extreme pettiness, but I'm so fascinated by it that it's almost like come around full circle and made me feel sane. And that is the burial of Ivana Trump. You took mine. Uh, <laughs> it is, we can, we this can is team a up joint, on this. This is a Melissa. joint pet. That's a great one. It is so nuts to me. And it is so brazenly insane. It is a, it is an, a brazenly insane thing to do with the body of the mother of three of your children yes. to bury her body on a golf course with a flat little tombstone. The saddest tombstone. It's a sad little tombstone. Um I it it is so just patently ridiculously nuts. It is a it is a crazy man thing to do <laughs> that it has brought me joy. Like I'm like back I, all of a sudden I was like am I does this story make me happy somehow? I don't know. I, I'm fascinated by it. It is the, it is some petty bullshit. Alyssa, I have so much to say uh, about this. Couple things. Okay. Okay. okay so like <laughs> I live up in like revolutionary war territory, right? So there are like graves and graveyards everywhere. 
And and Aaron, the graves from the 1700s have more flair than hers. Is it is it possible that's just a temporary stone? Because sometimes carving. Oh yeah, that's an option. I don't care. There are at least up here. There are some like nice wood fences around it. She's like in the middle of the open, and Aaron, uh, the coup de gras, the best part is everyone was like, why would he do this? Let me read your New Jersey tax code, can I? Let me. Yes. Quote, unquote, a cemetery company is any person or corporation who owns, operates, or manages land dedicated to the burial of human remains. A cemetery company need not pay property, income, or sales tax. It's so disgusting. They need to change the law in New Jersey. They need to change that law because and and not let people be grandfathered in. It needs to be something like a certain percentage of the land needs to be devoted to the burial of human remains. It should be like the same amount of land that you need to have to get yourself an agricultural tax, like an exemption. Do you know what I mean? Like this is, she's just like, you know she didn't know she was getting buried there. You know she didn't know. Well, do you have her kids said anything? Oh, that has been trash. the craziest part to me. I would be up in arms if someone did that to my mother. So here's here's me being a paranoid tinfoil hat conspiracy. Where are you storm. going? What if her body is not there? Oh my gosh, Erin! Is anybody going to do a sonar of that and make sure that there's an actual human body there? Wow. Because Aaron, when you put the tin hat on, you're not <laughs> always wrong. So they're yeah. taking the tax break and doing something. First of all, hmm. yes, I believe. I think. I think that it could be a fake. <laughs> I mean, look, I, this way would explain why we haven't heard anything from the Trump children. Yeah. Because she's actually buried somewhere that isn't totally or disrespectful. Or cremated oh, in a faux yeah. gold urn. Where she's been cremated. But she's been, she's, her remains have been handled in a way that isn't just like patently disrespectful. And, and this way their dad gets his way with like the tax yeah. thing. I think if I were oh, like so gross. an investigator of yeah. some kind, I would go ahead and make sure that that was yes. really her body. That's, I think you're right. I mean, don't exhume her. I mean, we've got better. <laughs> because, like, how embarrassing. Can it? they do that? Is that a thing that exists? Must be. Um, Like a sonar yeah, or some, some kind, kind of, of like ultrasound. 3D. Yeah. Yeah. That you can do it from the air, maybe from an airplane. Maybe if you're, like, a crazy billionaire. A drone. Maybe they, you could do a it drone with a drone. Anything. Can, can measure. Yeah. I just, because I, I, I'm just, like, there's a part of my brain that's, like, fake. But it's so crazy that maybe it's not. It is. Well, I mean, also, I'm sure that if she's cremated, they paid someone to keep quiet, but it's Trump, so not enough. So (laughs) someone could just offer more money (laughs) to get the person to tell their story. That's really funny. If you have inside information on whether or not that is actually Ivana Trump's body being buried on Trump's golf course, you can email us, hysteria at com. You should also also email the New York Times um, <laughs> because I think that that is a news story that would be worthy of publication because it's just so weird. Yeah. It's just so weird, but Trump is nothing if not a brazen 
awful person. Yeah. And either either scenario, either she's buried there or she's not buried there, which is something that I totally made up. <laughs> I have no inside information. But it, either either scenario is 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 disgusting. Like she's either buried there or Trump is pretending that he buried yeah. his ex-wife and the mother of three of his children <sighs> on a golf course. Do you see how this is bringing me joy? Because my brain, <laughs> it's like occupying me in this way that I'm just like, I did not expect to have to to process all of these. These are new thoughts. These are brand <laughs> new thoughts just dropped, you know, Lots and it's, it's exciting. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So it's like the yeah. Oliver Cromwell head of, of New Jersey, where it's like <laughs> the true location of its burial is unknown except to a select few. <laughs> all I, all I ask when I die is I don't, I don't really want to be buried in a cemetery because I think cemeteries are a really bad use of land. Um, and, uh, this is like not very good, you know, whatever. And the chemicals they use to preserve bodies, like really, really bad for the environment. Um, I would like to be composted, but I would like to have a memorial like statue erected for me. And I want that statue to be very spooky, um, like deliberately made to look as I, I want the kids to think it's haunted. I want the kids to be like, oh, that's the old Ryan. I yeah. will make sure it is the spookiest errand there is. I want it to be so scary. Um, I want the kids to think I'm a witch. I want it to be a like memorable like Halloween. Ooh, if you leave something. Like you want to be the costume everybody has on Halloween because you're so yes. fucking spooky. Yes, yes. I want my legend to to live on <laughs> like the San like the Sanderson sisters. Um, okay. Uh Shaniqua. Are you going to do an I Feel Petty or a Sanity Corner? Um, well, all of this has brought me um, some sanity, but it's it's I Feel Petty. It's so, it's okay. so like, unnecessary to say, and I should just announce my biases at the beginning. I am part of the Beehive. I love Beyonce. I just, everything she does, I love. Um, well, mostly everything. I'm not, like, a crazy part of the Hive. But... I just, I think I get so frustrated. Like, I love her album. I love her new album, Renaissance. And look, I get if people don't like her music, fine. We have preferences. But I don't understand why there are people who, like, hate her so much and then feel the need to tell the rest of us. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. You don't have to like who her. Who hates Beyonce? I, have, I, 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 I would dare I live on Twitter. I've lived that. there too. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm there too often. And just so many complaints. I actually saw a tweet where a woman said that she was upset that Beyonce didn't make some kind of like resistance revolution music because everything is so bad right now. And someone went and looked back at her old tweets and pulled one up. And uh, before the album came out, um, was basically saying, I hope it's like a fun dance party type of album because things are so bad now. And so it's like, people just want to say things. I think they just want likes and, and retweets and, you know, some clout on Twitter. But everyone just has... I don't know. It's like, let people enjoy things. Go for a and, walk. Do something yeah. else. You know, oh, you have yeah. to be mad have about everything. shit on her? Um, and I, obviously Beyonce doesn't care, but I, I think yeah. it's, I think it's part of when people like things and a lot of people like things, um, everyone doesn't have to like it, but why do some people really take the opportunity to not just say, I don't like it, but just pick it apart and, and be unnecessarily mean and, and just ruin things for other people. Like, just let mm-hmm. us enjoy the album. Totally. It's nice. You don't have to listen to it. You don't have to go to her tour. 
I, I'm, my assumption is Act 3 is going to be the tour. Act 2 will hopefully be some kind of visual thing. Um, these are all just <laughs> my assumptions because I am just a crazy Beyonce fan. But just let people enjoy things. It's nice. The world is shitty right now. So I don't know. It's nice to have nice things. You know, it's funny. I'm, I've noticed a real like uptick in people moralizing their taste preferences. Mm. If they don't, like if they specifically don't like something, it's like, not only do they not like it, it is immoral to like it. And it's so weird. It's not just bad. It's causing harm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Causing harm. Capital C, capital H. Um, Yeah. It's just, it's, it's really strange. Like if you, I think that people should, yeah, of course, like something if you like it. If you don't like it, just say you don't like right. it. Don't say like, I don't like it. In the- or <laughs> you don't have to say anything. Yeah, or you don't have to say anything. I, I found like, I find like the hate of Nathan Fielder's new project to be a little perplexing because it's like a lot less mean than Nathan for you, his show that was on for like several seasons and people being like, he is a sociopath. It's like, yeah, that's the whole point. <laughs> he doesn't understand humans. Like he, 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 anyway, I, I, I totally agree with like the, it's totally fine to criticize something if you don't like yeah. it or you cannot say anything yeah. or you could just like let people enjoy things. And, um, yeah, that's, that's a very good, I feel petty. And, um, I hope that your predictions on what act two and three are is correct. Yeah. That would make you a, a Beyonce witch. A be- <laughs> like you're a prognosticator of Beyonce. That's going to be um, my new title. That's my new work title. Beyonce now. witch. Yes. <laughs> The kids are not afraid of her burial uh, memorial. They come <laughs> and have dance parties there at the Beyonce Witch. Um, Dana, are you feeling petty? Or are you going to talk about what's bringing you sanity this week? It's both. It's a two. It's a it's a collective thing. So I have had uh, not great skin my whole life, just like my acne and like breaking out. And I'm a picker because I'm an anxious person. And it's something that like I've dealt with since I was a teenager, like truly. And I over the years, I would say I've spent thousands, like since I was a teenager, thousands of dollars at like Sephora and drugstores. And like, I became like a, you know, a chemistry minor trying to figure out like (laughs) whether benzoyl peroxide, you know, works with vitamin C. And I've spent so much time and money buying the latest, you know, face things from like whatever. Um, And I will say I went to a dermatologist before my wedding. And if you go to a dermatologist and tell them you're getting married in a month, it felt like they were like, oh, my God, like they rang a bell, like they brought in people. Like I like three people were looking at my face like those are the magic words you have to say that will will work. Um, And they gave me a prescription that I picked up at CVS that costs ten dollars with insurance. And again, I realize I'm very lucky that I have insurance and also could go to a dermatologist and my skin has never been this clear in my entire life. And I'm just fed up that like, I, you know, I had been buying whatever like Sephora, like reading allure, like, you know, every skincare thing known to man. And it's like, okay, sometimes it isn't a 12 step routine <laughs> that you have to spend hundreds of dollars on. Like sometimes you, a doctor can just give you a prescription and you take it. And a week later, it's like, a million times better. Your skin looks great. It looks wonderful. Thank it you really so does. much. Yeah. I mean, look, it's yeah, still it a looks- little bit, but it's like, this is the clearest it's ever been in my life. And I've been taking a pill that costs $10. Mm. Uh, for what it's worth, Dana, I've never noticed ever. that you have had any skin challenges. Thank you. It's- I think we're all our own worst critics when it comes to the wear. Nobody looks 
at your face more than you. Mm-hmm. You know, we all look at our own faces more than anyone yeah. else looks at our Like face. even in the Zoom, I had to put my screen over here so I would focus on you three. <laughs> <laughs> That's very evolved of you to admit, Shaniqua. Um, I can't, like whenever I do, when I would do like TV stuff, I would ha- I would make them turn the camera off if I was doing like a remote hit because if I saw the the implication of my face below the camera, I would just be like <laughs> at my face. Uh, but it's it's a thing. If I ever give a pitch or have to do a presentation, I just truly on my screen move the word document over this so I don't see them. I don't see me. I can just pretend I'm doing it for no one. <laughs> Is that easier for you to just pretend you're doing it for nobody? A thousand times because I can also like be bigger because like, you know, when you're like in your mirror and you're like doing it, it's like, wow, she has pizzazz or it's otherwise I'd be so nervous. (laughs) She's got moxie. Um, Okay, well, those are great. I feel petties, sanity corners. I'm glad we solved Ivana Trump's burial. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Shaniqua and Dana, thanks so much for coming by today and talk about quiet quitting. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. Thanks to all uh, all of you, the listeners. Thanks to all the voters of Kansas. Yes. Yeah. We, we got to take special special shout out to the Kansans out there. Um, and uh, congratulations to you all for being incredible. Um, and uh, there will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet. This nation these girls it. Y2K email and scan it. Don't take no for an answer. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. And Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers. And our editor is Sarah Gibolaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroote. <laughs>